Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown. Today, I'm joined by Minority Leader Representative Ilana Rubel to talk about House Bill 149, or what's being called the Clean Slate Act. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Representative Rubel, you received overwhelming support in both the House and the Senate. Walk me through what this bill does. I'm so excited about this bill. Uh, we've been working on it for three years. This uh, creates a path for the first time in Idaho for nonviolent, non-sexual offenders uh, to petition to seal their record from public view, to open them up to more opportunities and jobs and housing and travel and everything else. Uh, so again, this is not for murderers and rapists, but the, the you know it's low-level misdemeanors, things like petty theft, um, one-time lowest level of drug possession. So you know you'd be amazed how many people had a pot possession charge from seven years ago and now they can't do anything. Uh, this would allow them if they've gone at least five years without any subsequent offenses or arrests uh, to petition to seal the record from public view. So who is eligible? Um, how long of a time gap does there need to be between? Yeah, this, the clock starts ticking once you've completely finished your penalties. Uh, so once you've finished, you know, whatever probation, whatever, probably these these are minor enough offenses that probably nobody will have done prison time under these offenses. Um, but once you've finished everything, you've paid the last of your fines, finished the last of your probation, then your clock starts ticking. And then once you go five years from then, with no arrests or, or, or convictions, then you become eligible to petition. Now, you have to affirmatively petition. It doesn't roll off automatically. And you have to get your own lawyer to do it, although I think there are going to be pro bono attorneys available. I've spoken to uh, to the U of I folks, and they want to set up a clinic to help people do this. So I think there will be free options for people who can't afford to get their own lawyer. But you would petition uh, the court and say, I meet these qualifications. I want my record sealed. The prosecutor would get notified, and they would have an opportunity to oppose it. But if you show that you're not a threat to society and you meet the qualifications, then you would get that relief, you would get your record sealed. Great. Uh, if they are denied, can they reapply and how is there a time frame between how long they have to wait oh. before they can reapply? Uh, yeah, actually, that's a good question. To. We didn't actually address in the bill what to do <laughs> if you're denied, um, you know, de-challenging. I think one important thing is this is only good for one offense, or it can be multiple offenses if part of the same transaction. So let's say you were at a wild party when you were in college and you were charged with drinking underage and playing overly loud music. Uh, you could get both of those <laughs> offenses sealed if they were part of the same incident. Um, but you can't this for multiple offenses. And again, to be clear, it's not expungement. A lot of states have true expungement where it's just completely wiped off the face of the earth. Your, your record is completely cleaned. Um, that is not what this is. We got a lot of pushback from prosecutors and law enforcement on that. But what this does, again, it seals it from, from the public being able to see it, but it's still there in the bowels of the legal system where the police and prosecutors can see it. So if you offend again um, after, after you've had it sealed, then your next offense will be treated as your second offense, not as your first offense. Sometimes uh, these small crimes come up in people's uh, background checks when they're trying to rent mm -hmm. an apartment, uh, um, get a job, that kind of thing. You said it will be in the public, won't be in the public interface, yeah. um, but should someone need to get a background check for a job, would it, would 
this prior crime come up through that or? It depends on the kind of job. <laughs> it's one of those, it depends answers that everybody loves. Uh, no, but, but there are different databases. Uh, and I learned a lot about all the different databases that are out there. There's kind of, there's the public repository, which is the one that's maintained by the courts that you and I could just go look each other up on to see what terrible things we've done. Uh, that will be sealed. That will not be available to the public. But there are other databases maintained by law enforcement and you know the Idaho State Police, et cetera, and there are some jobs that require heightened background checks, in particular people that are working with vulnerable populations, whether it's you know babies or, or senior citizens or something, where they have to pass that heightened background check where they go look in the police file. It will still be visible there, uh, but it will not be visible for ordinary job searches. So if you're just looking to get a you know normal run-of-the-mill job, it, it won't be visible there. Again, these are really minor offenses. So these are not things I think that any employer really should be terribly worried about. I mean, some of the things on there, it's shoplifting, it's, um, you know, passing a school bus, littering, <laughs> things that, you know, but you'd be amazed how even little things like that can stop you from being a foster parent or being able to be, uh, you know, attend school trips with your kid. Or, uh, you know, I got a call from a guy in South Korea who met the love of his life, calling from South Korea because he now can't get a work visa to stay there and get married to his fiance and work because of a seven-year-old marijuana possession charge he had in Idaho. Uh, so it just messes with you in so many ways that nobody even thinks about. The other day, you mentioned this has been years in the making. Yes. Uh, what have been some of your hangups and your compromises? Well, we originally had a broader array of offenses that would be eligible for sealing, um, and we had a shorter time frame. We, we originally had a three-year wait time for some of these minor misdemeanors, and then five years for the felonies. There's only really one felony on there that you can get sealed, and that's that one-time low-level drug possession for personal use. It doesn't include trafficking amounts or dealing or anything like that. but. Um, so, but you know, the, the prosecutors wanted five years for everything. They wanted a very narrow list of sealable offenses, and we worked with them to develop the list of what would be sealable. Um, we got a fair bit of pushback from the courts who didn't want anyone telling them what to do on how to you know, run their system. So we worked with them. For, that actually took probably about two years to get language that the courts could live with in terms of accommodating their rules-making process and giving them the autonomy they wanted. Um, so we eventually worked through it all and got to something everybody could, could handle. Were you surprised by the amount of bipartisan support you got? I was really excited about it. Again, after three years and so many rounds and rounds, we, we've had our heart broken on this bill a few times. There were a couple years where we really thought we could bring it, and then somebody came in at the last minute and dropped a bomb on it and opposed it, and we had to pull the plug for the year. So after all that, it was super exciting on our third year at it <laughs> to get it through almost unanimously. It was unanimously through the Senate, and I think we had one no vote in the House. But unanimous in all the committees, it was really exciting. There was no testimony against it. Um, it was great. I think everybody recognized that, you know, minor offenses should not come with a life sentence. What, um, what other kinds of things might this... Um help people with. You mentioned the individual who was trying to get a work visa, but yeah, that's an so exception. Many, so many things. I mean, this issue first came to my attention a little over three years ago when a mom in my district wrote to me telling me about her son um, who, you know, had again another marijuana possession charge from many years ago when he was in early on in college, um, had cleaned up his act, had no subsequent problems, graduated as an A student and wanted to go on to medical school and could not apply to medical school because of this old charge on his 
on, on his rap sheet. Uh, and I thought, well, that's pretty terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, the number of years, I mean, it's basically, as I said, it's a life sentence for one stupid mistake someone made when they were younger. And I looked into it. I discovered that we're really an outlier. Um, at the time, 41 other states had some mechanism for sealing or expunging your record. I think that's now up to 42 states. Since I first started working on this, Virginia has now passed uh, an expungement statute. So uh, we are we are really... Um, not in line with what the rest of America is doing in terms of giving people a fresh start. Well, while I have you, um, we're looking down uh, towards the end of the legislative session. Uh, is there anything um, that you're worried about that uh, might not pass? Yeah. Well, there's a few things that I'm really concerned about. Um, you know, one, well, of course, the governor's launch bill, which I hope is going to be okay. Um, but that, you know, as you know, made it through the House by one vote and is now sitting on the Senate amending order. So uh, I really hope that's going to make it because I think that'll make a huge difference to a lot of kids in the state in terms of their ability to um, pursue any kind of post-secondary, you know, whether it's a welding certificate or going to culinary school or going to a four-year college. Um, this is the kind of thing that will change their earning potential for the rest of their lives. So I sure hope we can get that going. Um, I am hoping that there's still some life in the mandatory minimum front. This is this is my other white whale that I've been working on for years, even longer, actually, than I've been working on Clean Slate. I've probably been working for six years on mandatory minimums. Um, and, you know, there was that fentanyl bill. Representative Boyle and I brought a bipartisan piece of legislation that um, extended mandatory minimums to fentanyl, but also put on sideboards to protect those first-time offenders and those people who are not dealers uh, and, and put kind of some due process constraints on our current mandatory minimum statute, which I think our current statute is a disaster. The... Um for listeners, the fentanyl bill that you're uh, referring to is the one that Representative Allgood uh, brought, and I believe that died it in died. House student rules. But there are, there are, of course, still mandatory minimums for other types of narcotics. Yes. Um, and so the bill that you brought would be to do away with the mandatory minimums. Walk me through uh, what a mandatory minimum is. Actually, it wouldn't do away with them. It would just put some sideboards on. So okay. mandatory minimums are very rare in Idaho law. Um, we don't have mandatory minimums really in almost anything. On most major offenses you can think of, you know, rape, kidnapping, maiming, uh, cannibalism, you name it, you know, <laughs> burglary, you name it. Um, almost across the board, judges have discretion in sentencing. And they can look at the particulars of the situation and say, you know, you're a dumb 18-year-old who offended for the first time versus you are a hardened criminal who's a true threat to society. I mean, they can look at the particulars of the situation. The only exceptions really are first-degree murder, um, um, repeated sexual abuse of a child and drug possession. Um, and this just feels like drug possession does not belong in that category. <laughs> um, and to be clear, it is possession. They call it trafficking, but there's no requirement in the statute that you're selling to anybody or even that you intend to sell to anybody. It's, the based, only, on it's based on weight. If you just possess it, it can be for purely personal use and you will be considered, quote, a trafficker. Um, but the problem with this statute, again, it doesn't look at intent. It doesn't look at whether you're a dealer. It doesn't look at anything you ever did in your life, whether you could be rehabilitated, whether it makes sense at all to lock you up for five years with no possibility of parole versus just send you to rehab and probation. The only thing it looks at is the amount of the drug. But here's the funny thing. They don't even look at the true amount of the drug. This is quite shocking to people. A lot of people don't realize this. Under Idaho law, this is different from federal law. If you have 10 grams of table sugar and one gram of heroin mixed into it, it will be considered 11 grams of heroin. 
They don't measure the actual amount of the drug. They measure the overall total of the substance surrounding the drug. And with marijuana, this is particularly concerning because you could have a pan of pot brownies that may only have a minuscule amount of marijuana, but the whole, it'll be considered a pound of marijuana because all the flour and eggs and sugar and everything in it will be considered marijuana under Idaho's law. That's one of the things we wanted to fix, was require that they actually look at the true amount of the drug as opposed to the complete amount of the mixture. Um, and that was a real concern with fentanyl, because adding fentanyl to the statute, tiny amounts of fentanyl are often laced into a, an, another substance. And so, you know, we would hate to see a situation where you drop a minuscule amount of fentanyl into a bottle of Coke, and now all of a sudden you have 16 ounces of, quote, fentanyl, which is really 16 ounces of Coke, <laughs> you know, Coca-Cola, you know, with, uh, you know, with a many amount. So we thought it was really important to fix some of those things, look at the true amount of drugs, maybe look at whether someone's a dealer or not, and maybe give a little bit of out for first-time offenders. Do you, do you anticipate that getting a hearing this year? I sure hope so. I mean, this is it's getting awfully late in the session, um, but this has been a very top priority. There's been a lot of interest in it this session. I know that law enforcement would very much like to get fentanyl added to the statute, yeah. and I would support them in that if they could make sure they have these other safety guards to protect against true injustice. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be some Hail Mary in the last week and a half, and we'll finally get some movement on that. That is it's one of my fervent hopes of what still happens and what time is left in session. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you for your time, Representative Atlanta Rubel. Thank you so much. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.